Uh, we are in part 21 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, Lord of the Sabbath. And if you are, uh, have been given one of those uh, bulletins that has a fill-in-the-blank on it, I'm just going to draw your attention to that in a moment. Uh, so let me just begin with this quick question. Is everybody familiar with the concept of spiritual disciplines? Right, Spiritual disciplines, it's, it's anything that we do or any exercise we engage with that's supposed to help our spiritual lives. So we know it shouldn't make it super complicated. Reading the Bible is a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Fasting, right? Even silence and solitude where Jesus withdrew to be able to be with the Father. Um, reflecting and meditation on Scripture, that's a spiritual discipline. All that stuff, right? That's all critical and it's all very, very important. However, what it can become sometimes is religion. And religion not in a good way, but religion in a bad way. Sometimes our attendance at church is healthy and good and it helps build us up. Sometimes it becomes a pride issue, which is I'm always there, that's always my spot. If someone doesn't go to church, there's a problem with them. Uh, sometimes our idea that we read the word and if we ever come across somebody else that doesn't read the word as much as we do, we now have a holier than thou attitude. It seems that whatever's good for us and all the, the great stuff God gives us to grow, somehow we turn it bad. We get very prideful or self-righteous or whatever, and that's when things go wrong. Well, we're about to read some stories and a document into an ancient world where things had gone wrong, and Jesus had to step in and correct the religious problems of his day. The religion had become way too rigid, stiff, and heartless, and it was starting to cause problems. All the things that God institutes for man, he is doing so both to bring him glory and to bless his kids. Therefore, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Spiritual disciplines are to help us, not hurt us. Spiritual disciplines are here to help us, not hurt us. And we're going to drop right into one of the biggest ones for the ancient Jewish people of all time. And that's the issue of the Sabbath. There are actually seven times Jesus heals on the Sabbath in the Gospels. We'll cover two of those healing stories today. Why did he heal on the Sabbath seven times? Because they said that healing on the Sabbath was illegal. Therefore, he was going to re-rack them and say, no, not only is it not illegal, it's a great idea. And so he's going to blow up their world. There's other stuff that he did that they didn't think he should do on the Sabbath. And he was once again trying to bring them back into a more clear place to say, wait, 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 I need to remind you what my dad had in mind when he talked about Sabbath and what you're doing isn't it. The way the Jews worked was they had a very high value of God. And that's awesome. That's wonderful. They should be uh, cheered for that. We want to have a high respect of fear of God to say that if God commands something, we need to adhere to that. Anything else is cosmic treason. The problem is, is that in order to honor God's name, they added a bunch of other rules so that you'd never even get close to failing. So if God gave us 10 commandments, they made sure to add on 600 more so that they could circle around it and you wouldn't even get close to it. Well, at some point that becomes not only silly, but it becomes destructive. 
And so this is what Jesus is correcting. Let's go ahead and throw up the first story for us on the screen. It says this. At that time, on a Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, whether that was wheat or barley, we have no idea. As they made their way, his disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and to eat. Let's pause right there. Were they doing something illegal? No. God actually mandated this opportunity, and here's how. For some of us, especially in modern-day America, we think about max efficiency. How can we get all that we can out of our companies and business? God knew that would be the heart of man, and so he put in a rule that said, when you go through and glean your fields, you're not allowed to go through it twice. You leave what you left For the foreigners, the poor, the orphans, the widow, right? And the hungry. If somebody was hurting, they should be able to go into your land. You weren't supposed to clean out the edges. The edges were for people traveling through so they could get a little something from you. So it was the idea that after harvest was done, all the poor would kind of run back out in the fields and scoop up what was left. And you weren't allowed to milk all of it so that no one else could get anything. So all they're doing is what normal poor folks would do. They were doing what normal hungry folks would do. They were wandering through the grains. They were grabbing some stuff off that was left over. They weren't stealing from anybody. And then they'd have it in their hand. And what would happen is it had little husks on it. You'd eat the stuff on the inside. So you'd smash your hands together and you'd rub it together to crush off all that husk. And then... You'd blow off the chaff, it would leave the grain in your hand, and then you'd just eat that, like popcorn, all right? So that's what they were doing, but take a look at what happened. But when some of the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders of the time, saw it, they were saying to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful. Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? How could what they were doing be unlawful if God made an allowance and provision for this. Well, the key in their minds was it was a Sabbath day. When God said, rest on the Sabbath, what do you think he meant? I mean, imagine having a dialogue with him. So God, you said rest, right? And you all know what I mean by this. God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. The word Sabbath comes from rest. And so you go, God, what do you mean by rest? And he's going, I think I mean rest. (laughs) And you're like, so like, so what are we not to do? And he goes, work. Uh, okay, so what do you mean by work? I mean work. What, why are we getting into this? I mean, don't do burdensome work. Don't, don't try to sit there and I got to make more money. You're all a bunch of little workaholics, so I have to mandate you to chill out. So I need you to relax and I need you to mellow out. And as a matter of fact, because your heart runs towards workaholism, I'm actually going to mandate it really severe. I will get in your face if you try to work on this day. Well, God, anything can be work. Well, here's the silly thing. They ended up making 39 different categories of work. And you go, really? 39 different categories. The disciples in this story violated four of them. Here's how. It kind of gets a little bit ridiculous. Check this out. When they picked the grain with their hands, they were doing the work of reaping, right? You're like, what? When they rubbed them in their hands, they were doing the work of threshing that you normally do on the threshing floor. When they went, they were doing winnowing or separating out the husk from the grain. 
By the fact they ate it, they were preparing a meal on the Sabbath day. They had violated four of the 39 categories of work just by doing what they're doing. Now you understand why Jesus gets ticked off, right? It's ridiculous. Come on, seriously? So the Pharisees are going, oh, they're breaking the law. They're breaking. He's like, no, they're not breaking the law. You guys just added in really silly, stupid rules. And I'm telling you, that's not what it's about. So watch how he handles this. He says this, and Jesus answered them, wait, have you never read? Let's stop right there. These guys are obsessed with reading. They know the Old Testament backwards and forwards. So every time he says, have you not read? That's called an insult. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. All right. Do you know this story? Well, apparently they had forgot the story too. He's highlighting David for a reason. Why? Jews think David is awesome. David is so awesome. He's not only the giant killer. He is actually the greatest king of the Israel's territory. His star is on their flag. I mean, if you're going to bring up David, everyone's like, yeah, whatever David does is awesome. So Jesus said, all right, let's take your hero. Do you remember the story? He's running away from the psycho king Saul and he doesn't have any food and he's running, running, running with his men. And he shows up and he sees the tabernacle, the little church time back there. He runs in there and he's like, Hey, we're dying of hunger. We're not going to make it. Do you guys have any extra food? And the priests are like, you know what? We don't. He said, what about the extra showbread? All right. This is where it gets a little uh, fancy. The tabernacle was a holy place where you would go in and meet with God, but only the priests could go in there for you. And they had a bunch of little items in there. One of the items was a golden stand that was three feet long, one and a half feet high, one and a half feet deep. And on that table were 12 unleavened bread loaves to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They would have that before God all week, and then they would switch out fresh the next week. The bread you take off of God's table was only supposed to be eaten by the priests. Are we all got it? David said, what about that? And the priests are like, well, you're not supposed to eat that. And David said, well, I'm going to die. And they said, well, you have a good point. And so they gave him the loaves and he ate the loaves and went on. And so Jesus is saying, don't you remember David violated that rule out of need and necessity? Do you understand that, that that's okay with this scenario? Like, what, do you, what are you guys trying to do with your laws? And he said to them, look at the next piece, or have you not read, insult, in the law, how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. He said, guys, I don't think you've thought through your argument very well. Do you realize that priests work on the Sabbath because the temple's open on the Sabbath? As a matter of fact, it's twice the amount of sacrifices. They're working twice as hard on the Sabbath, but God's not mad at them. I mean, you're mixing this up. You keep making up your own rules and you're not hearing the heart of God. And he continues on. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Uh-oh, now you're messing with the Jews' temple. What do you mean something greater than the temple is here? The temple was absolutely magnificent, beautiful, and it was the very picture of how you get near God. So what's better than that? Jesus, 
Why? Because he goes, that big old building, that represents me, but I'm the legit one. I'm the actual temple that you guys are chasing after. So a building is a building. I'm the real deal. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. So as far as this whole building thing, I'm better than the building. Right? And then he says... He quotes a, a prophet in Hosea 6.6. 6. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. If you really knew the heart of God, you would not be busting the chops of my disciples. Leave them alone. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If my facts are correct, mankind was created on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day, God rested and instituted that. So the whole point was to try to help man rest, not to lock him in a prison. For the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, is that talking about mankind or Jesus? Probably Jesus on this one. Probably Jesus. The systems God creates, going to church, prayer, reading the word, silence and solitude, all that is to help us grow up and be healthier. They were not designed to make our lives miserable. They are a means to an end. If they cease to make you more like Jesus, something needs to be changed. If by reading the Bible you become an arrogant intellectual, we failed somewhere. You understand what I mean? Because you're supposed to read the Bible to become more like Jesus, but Jesus wasn't an arrogant intellectual. So once that discipline slipped out, we failed in that realm. We have to re-rack it. All right. Uh, let's go to the next story. On another Sabbath, he went on from there and again entered their synagogue and was teaching. That's their church. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the way that's constructed in the Greek, it suggests that he was not born that way. Something happened that made his hand draw up into himself, whether it was crushed, whether it was disease, whatever it was, he could not utilize his hand. And the scribes and the Pharisees, who are in the front row of honor, right there, asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, they didn't think so. Is there anything in the law that says they can't heal on the Sabbath? No, but all their rules and regulations say you're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath because it's work. That's another dumb rule. Really? We're not going to heal on the Sabbath because that's work. First of all, if there's any healing going on, I think God's doing the work and it's just going through people. So I'm not even sure how this even makes sense on any level, but whatever. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. This is what's interesting to me. Notice they have no doubt he can heal. Now, a lot of us have doubt that God can heal, but the Pharisees didn't have any doubt that he could heal. They knew he could heal. Now they were looking to see if he would so they could what? Accuse him. Are we all clear that one of... The devil's names means accuser. All right, so they're partnering with who? The devil. All right, here's where it becomes personal. We have the same exact spirit in us. How? Well, I don't know. Have you ever been in a place where you were waiting to accuse something that God may be doing because you didn't like how it was done? You didn't like the format. That's not how you used to do it. And you, all you're doing is waiting for something to happen spiritual so you can jump all over someone's case. 
Let me give you an example. There was a time back in the day when we were arguing about worship music. Right there was a time where can we sing like this? Oh, Maranatha's anointed, right? And then it was uh, no integrity music's anointed. No wait, hymns are anointed. No wait, it's modern music that's anointed, right? And everybody's arguing about all this stuff. There were people that they would watch the youth and wait for the worship to start, and they'd see the kids starting to pogo, right, jump up and down in the Lord, and they'd be all excited and they'd go, "See, that's what I'm talking about. How dare you take advantage of God's worship? And you're only in it for yourself." They were waiting for something godly to happen so they could accuse. Is that you? Are you waiting for something to happen somewhere so you can shut it down and go, see, that's what I'm talking about, what's wrong with everything? What is going on with your attitude? Because if it is God, you just shut him down and then just completely dishonored his name. That's not a good idea. Why are we so quick to accuse? Oh, We'll keep going. It says, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. Stop. Why did he have him come stand up front? Well, it's obvious. It's a display, right? He's going, listen, you guys, I'm not going to heal this guy quietly in a back alley somewhere. Y'all are watching. You think you're sly. Oh, I wonder if he's going to heal him. Listen, hey, withered hand, dude, come here. Stand up here. All right. Everybody can see everybody good. All right, cool. Now we're all on the same page. Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now he's asking, that's a pretty hardcore question. Are we supposed to do good stuff with the Sabbath or bad stuff? And they're like, oh, I think it's good stuff. <laughs> so which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you're not going to pick it up and lift it out. Really? Of course you would. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But they were silent. That's sort of like, I hate when he's right, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what was his point? There is a place where your religion hurts people. You know what I mean? All right, well, let me tell you. Anybody know those people that hold the signs that say, God hates fags? Stop doing that. That's not God's heart. That is not in the Bible. You do not get to say God hates a select group of people that you happen to not like anything about or you consider them sinners. What God said is he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, not just what groups you like, whosoever would believe in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So here's the deal. I understand folks that do that. I understand you're trying to protect the heart of God. You're trying to protect his name. You're trying to say, well, you know what? Without Jesus, you're going to hell. Okay. But your communication is terrible and your religious attitudes are wrecking hearts and lives. So stop doing it. You are not allowed to drag God's name through and club someone over the head when that is not at all God's intent in scripture. At some point, yeah, amen, right? All right. <laughs> Praise God. So the point is, is sometimes our religion, whether we have good motivations or not, slips into a very abusive element where the minute we slip out from being like Christ, we're out of line. Is that how Jesus treated sinners? Is that how Jesus treated the down and out? Is that how Jesus treated the poor? Is that these are things that should shape our behaviors and actions? I get 
that you have an intent in your heart to do certain things that you believe are holy, right, or pure. What I'm telling you is you're doing it wrong. There is a different method and way for you to love like Jesus loves. At the core of all Christianity, everything we do must be laced with love or else it ceases to be like Jesus. All right, let's keep moving on. And after looking around them all at them all with what? Anger. This is one of the only times in scripture where he was so ticked off they wrote it down. They're just like, man, he's really mad, you guys. <laughs> so we're going to write that one down. After looking around at them all with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. Let's pause right there. Did the man go, uh, Jesus, I'm up here because my hand is withered. My hand can't stretch out, so that's a terrible idea. Was there any argument or hesitation? No. How much faith does this dude have in Jesus? Jesus said, stretch my hand out. I guess that's what I'm going to do. Boom, he stretches his hand out. And what happened? It says, and his hand was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees were filled with fury, went out immediately, and held counsel with the Herodians. That is the group, the political group that supports Herod Antipas, that's pro-Roman, that the Pharisees hate. Why are they conspiring together? Because they hate Jesus more. It says, and they went out and held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus and conspired with one another that they, what they might do to Jesus, how to destroy him. They want to kill him because he healed a man on the Sabbath. They're so angry that he violated their religious systems, they want him gone and dead. How is it okay when our systems leave people hurting and we become abusive? How is that acceptable? We get ourselves people around us that agree with us, and then we get into our little crew and we justify everything. And we end up being really bad people. That's not what scripture says. Look, turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. If you're in one of our sanctuaries. It's page 872. We're going to read uh, two more short stories. This story is incredibly insightful. It's super complex. Uh, Deep down, Luke 13, 10, page 872. Let's take a look at this one. It says this. Now he, meaning Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, seriously, check this out. There was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. All right. So right off the bat, you look at that and you go, okay, Jesus healed another person. Wait, wait, wait. It's more complex than that. Here's why. What was wrong with her? For 18 years, she could not stand up straight because she had what? A disabling spirit. What does that mean? I mean a disabling spirit. Is that, is that a thing? Oh, is there a disabling spirit? And you go, well, okay, well, Lance, in the Bible, demons and spirits are interchangeable. So she had a, a demonic spirit. Oh, so she was possessed. Well, that's funny because the way that he healed her is not the way that he ever healed anyone demon-possessed. He never touched them. He never healed them. 
He spoke to them from a distance with authority and cast a demon out. There is none of that going on here. No, she did not have a demon in her. So what was going on? I don't know. It's weird. And it's weird because it's complicated. It's complicated because it's mentioned that there's a spirit and it's causing a disability and yet it's not a demon inside the person. And so this is where you get a bunch of stuff that goes on. And a lot of times you'll be praying in different churches and different grooves and someone starts praying over the spirit of something, right? Praying over like for me, I got anxiety. They're like, well, I pray against the spirit of anxiety in you. And I'm like, dang, do I have a spirit of anxiety? What does that mean? Is there one on me? Is it in me? What's going on, right? I'm freaking out. I don't know what's happening. And so I'm, I'm, I think it's just anxiety. I think my chemicals are messed up. Well, whatever. So then somebody prays about it and it kind of sounds freaky. You're like, well, are there spirits about other things? Right? I mean, I have the spirit of sleepiness right now. You know what? I'm just going to go to sleep. Or I have, you know, I have the spirit of chocolate. I crave it all the time. Right? How many spirits do we get to have? There seems to be a lot of spirits out there. Now, All I'm telling you is it's super complicated because what you just saw is actually legit. There was a spirit involved in the disability, but it was not an indwelling spirit. So how do we work with that? I don't know. Man, when I'm praying over somebody, I'm like, "Uh, is it demonic? Is it physical? I have no idea. God, you know, fix them, right? It's like, I don't even know what to do with that. Okay, I'll pray again. I'll, you know what? I'll hit every angle, right? I'll just, I'll just pray 32 different prayers over them, right? Just in case I missed one, right? Well, what's intriguing is this actually got highlighted. Y'all remember the story of Job, right? Uh, was Job a bad guy? Was Job demon-possessed? No, and yet he had boils all over his body. Who had done it? Satan. Okay, so now you have a spirit, demonic presence messing with his body, casting him into boils and sores, but he's the most righteous dude ever. Everything is great with that guy. That's why God highlighted him. He was an amazing guy. So you go, well, wait, so was the spirit thing right? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that if I see anyone that's imprisoned by something, I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to say, dad, can you please sort this out? Dad, can you please fix this? I don't know what's wrong with them. And you know whether or not it's the enemy. Because like even in my anxiety, I know I got anxiety, but I think that Satan tries to make it worse. Why wouldn't he? I mean, wouldn't you if you were the enemy? I mean, you pounce all over that stuff and make it worse. So half the time I'm praying for normal healing. Half the time I'm trying to get him out of the way and rebuking him and going, get off me, right? Whatever. So all I'm saying is that it's complicated in scripture. It gets even weirder. Check this out. But the ruler of the synagogue, that's the guy that was kind of in charge, he was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. So he said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Really? You just had a miraculous healing done right in front of you, and you're going to give him grief because it was the wrong day. What is wrong with you? You can't even see the glory of God. Your head is so wrapped tight into your systems. But you don't do that on the Sabbath day. That's work. Blah, 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 blah. What? Okay. Listen, you moron. You can stand upright. She can. So you think it's cool for her to wait another day. So you think that there should be, hey, you know, let's just do all this right in the perfect way. And let's make sure we're handling everything appropriate. 
okay, she can't stand up. So shut your trap. Jesus just healed her. That's awesome. Your response should have been, praise God. But your response was not that. But look at how Jesus, it's funny because Jesus didn't say he was a moron. But Jesus did say, in a very biblical way, the same thing. Here we go. Verse 15. (laughs) Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? In other words, you give your puppy water, don't you? That's work too. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, meaning a Jew, a chosen child of God, a promised child of God, a daughter of God, and should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom, what? Satan bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. What caused her disability? Satan bound her for 18 years. How much stuff is Satan just messing with us on and hurting us on? Now, am I a demon behind every rock? No, I'm actually the other way. I kind of lean the opposite side. But is spiritual warfare real? Yeah, it is. Do we need to pray against that kind of stuff? Yeah, we do. I mean, that's how it works. Let's look at our last story as we close out. Luke 14, 1. Luke 14, 1. We'll close with this. It says, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, doesn't that sound like a blast? (laughs) They went, they were watching him carefully. Of course they were. And behold, seriously, check this out. There was a man before him who had dropsy. Now we don't use the word dropsy uh, anymore. It is an accumulation of fluids in the body. Uh, whether the kidneys failed, the liver failed, there's cancerous, whatever it is, it creates an accumulation of fluids in the body that can go toxic. So it's a very unhealthy um, state. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? I Meaning he knows what they think. He's saying, is it right in the eyes of God to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they don't think it is, but they remain silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. Did you notice that there was nothing mentioned about faith at all? Or the woman. There was no, your faith has made you well. There was No, it was just flat out, I'm going to heal you. It doesn't really matter where your head's at right now. You're better. You used to be messed up. Well, that's a whole different ballgame. They remained silent. He took him, he healed him, and he sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? But they could not reply to these things. What's the point? What are we doing here? How have we allowed so many religious things to make us bad guys? How have we so slipped in understanding Christianity that we do not role model, we do not duplicate Jesus? We end up coming up with our little hybrid concepts where we believe in Jesus and we're jerks to everyone else. How does that work out? In what way do you blend that in scripture? That, that doesn't make any sense. We have to. Now, is there time for boundaries and healthy stance? And is there a time to say something wrong is wrong? Absolutely there is. But what in the world is going on with your attitude while you do it? 
You know what I mean? It, Jesus had plenty of times where he took a stand. He'd said many things about what was sin and what wasn't sin. He talked a lot about people going, hey, if you do not have me, you're going to hell. I'm just letting you know right now. But notice the whole tone in how he did everything was so loving and concerned. The people that really ticked Jesus off and got him mad were all the religious nuts that were just being mean to everybody. Because somehow their religion got away from them. Listen, spiritual disciplines, rules, systems, guidelines, boundaries, they are ultimately to bless us, not to hurt us. And so any time that we allow our minds to get bent into a little pretzel and we start just lashing out at people, that's not okay. That's where we've left the mark. The very heart of what Jesus told us to do was this. Hey, guys, I want you to go out and I want you to share the truth in love. I need you to let people know that, yes, they're going to hell. But my intense love for them is that I have gone to the nth degree that I died for their sins. I need you to let them know that. I need you to let them know that my love is so intense that it's not okay for them to stay the way they are. I want to go rescue them. And I will do that for them. I need you to go out and I need you to help people where you can. I need you to fix stuff where you can. I need you to be able to love on people and care for people and utilize all the gifts I gave you to love on everybody around you. Would you please do that? So maybe sometimes we need to go back to the basics, right? What are we doing here? And what have we let it become? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a walk through your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love and your extraordinary grace and kindness, while at the same time, your justice and honesty. That, God, you are wonderful and amazing. And so we honor you right now, and we ask that you would remake us into your image, that the areas in our life where we have slipped, the areas of our life where we have changed, the areas of life where we've allowed your word to make us something not like you, the areas where we have stolen your glory because we don't like the method. God, I pray that you would set us free. I pray that you would heal us of that. Be glorified all the time in our lives, in our hearts, and here in this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.